0: The Get It Up podcast is brought to you by Vault Health. Guys, you may not see a doctor very often for all the reasons we know. Time off work, the endless waiting room, the unfulfilling answer from the doctor when you tell him about your one problem. There's another way. Vault Health. Go to
1: vaulthealth.com and find a men's health expert to help you address the things you care about most. Feeling like you're failing in the bedroom, boardroom, and the gym? Are you tired? Is your sex drive gone? Are your muscles hidden by fat you just can't lose? Vault Health is the answer.
2: Visit vaulthealth.com, that's V-A-U-L-T health.com,
0: where you can talk to the doctors who are the experts that know how guys work. Vault Health is specialized healthcare for men and their manhood. Visit VaultHealth.com. That's VaultHealth.com. Please leave your message. My girlfriend and I have been stuck inside our apartment for two weeks now and we're almost ready to kill each other. How bad is this COVID thing anyway? Everyone's saying it's just like the flu. Why can't I leave those go see my friends? What, what can I do to stay healthy? Thanks for some answers. This is Get It Up with your hosts. I'm Dr. Miles Spar, men's health expert. I'm Dr. Alex Pastishak, and I'm a dick doc. I'm Jason. I know what you know, nothing about men's health. I'm going to get the answers. You know, guys, I think this is as good a question as any. As we're all sitting here in quarantine in different parts of the country having our podcast, I guess I have the same question. I'm watching the news. It's hard to know what is real. This is some crazy times. Hi, Dr. P. Hi, Dr. Spar. Hey. Hey,
2: hey, Jason. It is him. crazy.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't. You know, I, I guess I, I. I'm. I'm as confused as everybody. So with, uh, you know, with two doctors, I'm going to ask all the questions. But why are some people dying and other people aren't? I think that's
1: a great question. I don't know that we know all the uh, that we know all the answers to that one. But um, I think the first question that comes up is. How many people or what percentage of people are dying? Because that number has jumped around quite a bit and it's jumped around based on the country. And then why are people actually dying and who's going to die and who's not?
2: Yeah, I think part of it is this is what some people don't understand. This is a brand new virus to the human species. Um, And so it's going to act really differently than flu and cold viruses. It kind of makes me crazy when everyone says, oh, it's just like a bad flu or bad cold. No, this is something that's never been seen by humans. And so therefore nobody has immunity, nobody. Um, And that seems to be largely why people with weakened immune systems do worse as opposed to something like the flu where yeah, people with weakened immune systems sometimes do worse, but younger people also do worse People who haven't had as much experience encountering the flu virus do worse as opposed to something like this where no one's experienced it. The big question I wonder about, and, and Dr. P and I were talking about it, is why are men seemingly doing a
1: lot worse than yeah. women with this virus? Well, and and the, the flip side of it, you know, Dr. Spar is, is that there's an argument out there that people who are, I don't know if hyperimmune is the right word, but... Guys who have activated immune systems, or people who have activated immune systems, can also respond very dramatically to this virus. So, is that what I was hearing about the the storm? Like, there's a storm that happens. Storm. Yeah. What is that?
2: That's what this. What this virus does very differently from influenza is, and what's causing the acute respiratory distress (ARDS) that's actually killing people is what happened. Like, the natural course of this illness is this. You get sick, you feel kind of sick, flu-like in terms of achy and headachey and feverish. And then oftentimes you feel better after a couple of days for maybe 24 to 48 hours. And then this cytokine storm, this hyper-inflammatory response kicks in you know, inflammation is the body's response to infection or anything foreign. And it's great when it helps to clear things up, but it's not the most elegant system. It's not as targeted as we'd like to believe. There's a lot of collateral damage that happens when the body kicks inflammation in. And in this case, that collateral damage happens in the lungs. And for because it's such a new virus, and we don't know why in men more than women, there's this massive inflammatory response in some people that literally brings all this cleaning up cells like white cells to get rid of the virus in the process. Those cells actually secrete a bunch of fluid that fills up the lungs and destroys ability to breathe.
0: So people are ending up in the hospital of all different ages now. I mean, we were hearing initially, although I can't even say that the media was really doing a good job of saying who was dying. It was just people were dying. But you know, when you saw the places where people were dying—nursing homes and and convalescent homes and you know the like—you'd go, all right, well, this must be something that affects older people, and you can understand that their immune system would be compromised or, or weakened. But now you're seeing healthcare professionals, nurses on the front line, doctors, um, teenagers, lots of people getting this, uh, this, this COVID. This, this coronavirus, and then ending up, you know, seriously ill, if nothing else, on, on ventilators and respirators and stuff.
1: You know, I think one of the scary things about this is that this is not the flu and no matter what anybody says comparing this virus to the flu it's not because there you're exactly right Jason there are young people whom you would expect to walk away from this within a week or so who are ending up on a ventilator you know there are guys our age you know in their 40s who are ending up on a ventilator who have absolutely no pre-existing conditions so you know anybody who says that this is sort of the run of the mill, you know, cold or flu is is wrong, but
0: we don't know enough to really go deeper than that right now. And so a lot of the questions I suppose that I'm I'm kind of thinking about are, you know, well first of all, how do you know? So I think it would be good for us to just talk about the what the the symptoms are. How do you know? I've heard things like, you know, the cough, like a dry cough, a fever, red eyes. Seem to be a big story the other day that you know people that are developing a lot of a lot of uh, of, um, of of red eyes. You know, maybe something to do with conjunctivitis might 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 be signaled to having it. And and then and then how do you know if you have you know picked up a cold separate of the coronavirus or you know. God forbid the flu, even. I mean, how 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 do you know the difference? And 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 then when you know these things, what should you do and what can you take, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, so, I think
1: some go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, so the the main symptoms that people tell or the the healthcare community is telling people to watch out for are a dry cough, fever, and potentially shortness of breath, right? There are other symptoms that can go with this, you know, but you don't know that you have this until you get tested. You know, and, I, and I, I, think, I think Miles is gonna jump into this, but that is one of the big liabilities that we have in the U.S. right now, is not having enough testing available to the general population, especially in hotbeds like New York and on the West Coast.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I would also add to the symptoms that we're noticing is people are noticing this loss of sense of smell. Um, is a weird thing that this seems to cause and also some gastrointestinal issues. So the other thing right. is if you start to suddenly have nausea or diarrhea or loose stools, those are things to notice um, at the outset. You know, the typical cold symptoms actually aren't as prevalent in this. So like a real runny nose actually is not as common with this because this is more of a lower respiratory infection as opposed to upper respiratory, meaning it affects the the lungs causing that cough um, as opposed to kind of the nose. So. If you have a really runny nose and
0: green snot coming out, it's probably actually not this.
2: <laughs> it's kind okay, of that's a good time. to know. I mean, that, the, uh, especially the, if you don't have a fever. Yeah, the
0: gastrointestinal stuff—that's interesting. So I, I think I've heard before, and you know, I don't even know anymore. I'm hearing so much, and I think we're all taking in lots of data that a virus can manifest itself in your, in your. Um, I don't know what the real medical okay. terms are, but the bronchial path, and then it can also go down the gastrointestinal path, and wherever the virus sort of multiplies can be where you start to have some of those symptoms. Is, is that true? Is that why you could actually end up having diarrhea or, or something else going on in your stomach or your intestines versus feeling something more in your, in your lungs? Well, the GI thing, it's not
2: known. I mean, there there's some evidence that it actually can be spread, you know, what we call fecal-oral spread, which is like hepatitis A, and when getting food-borne illnesses, it's spread because somebody has it in their feces, and then they're preparing your food, and they don't wash their hands really well. That's disgusting. So, yeah, I know. Sad <laughs> And but most true. of these cold viruses aren't spread that way, but this one seems to have some capability of being spread that way. So, yeah, it, it seems to be a pretty talented virus, unfortunately um but in terms of the testing that's obviously key we kind of missed the boat on that you know there's just by all accounts we're not testing enough people we haven't tested enough people the numbers are really poor representations of the numbers that are out there but the most exciting thing coming up um, and hopefully, you know, within weeks of this podcast coming out will be antibody testing because we thought that was months away. That's looking now more like it's weeks away um, coming out of the UK. What's what disability. So that's testing who's protected, you know, because it's a new virus. Oh. We don't even know if you get it. Are you going to develop enough antibodies to protect you from getting it again? Right, so right. Because test- I might have
0: had it. I, I, maybe I was asymptomatic. Maybe I, I did actually have it or I did catch it already, right? right? Didn't have any symptoms. Yeah. yep.
2: That's the thinking that like half of us, that's what Governor Cuomo was just saying. He thinks maybe the scientists are telling him half of New York state has probably been
0: exposed to it. Um, and in such case, if I were out and about going to the grocery store, doing what I have to do, I'm wearing my mask, I'm actually putting on like, like- – Kitchen plastic gloves at this point. Why will I walk around looking like um, I'm a freak? But I mean, but I'm feeling, trying to feel safe. I'm trying to be protected. But in the meantime, if I've already had it, in theory, what you're saying is, if this really proves out to be true, and you can do an antibody test, I, I, I wouldn't get it again because because I've had it. Right.
1: Well, you, we, 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 we don't yeah. know that. But just to talk about the antibody testing, you know, so there, there are two. There's short term and long term immunity, and within a few weeks after having a virus, there's a kind of antibody that rises that levels rise in the blood. And then later on, there's a second kind of antibody where levels rise in the blood. And being able to test for these is really important in understanding who's been exposed, who hasn't, and potentially
0: down the road, who has long-term immunity, depending on how the virus changes. And this is something that... So I'm confused on the testing component anyway because we aren't – clearly as a nation, we are beyond ill-prepared in the United States to be able to have enough tests or testing availability where people believe that they should be tested. And that's just been an ongoing battle, and it doesn't seem like that one's going to be won. So everybody is now talking about – at least in New York State where I am, everybody is talking about only get tested if you present or believe you're presenting with some form of symptoms. Otherwise, just stay home, stay out of public, try to do what you can do to stay quarantined. Um, But now this idea of testing. Testing for the antibodies seems like another form of, well, how the hell are you going to get that test if you can't get the COVID test to begin with? So how do you how do you rationalize both concepts? Well,
2: well that yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, if that becomes available and how widely we can make that available in terms of that antibody test, it seems like that will be, you know, in the best interest of pretty much anybody to make that test as widely available as possible because then that's how they'll know when they can get rid of this shelter in place or self-isolation, if they can figure out who is, is immune, especially in things like the military and people who are protecting our energy grid and people who are healthcare workers, you know, and primarily healthcare workers. If you can identify who has antibodies that are actually protective, you know you can send them out to to treat first and foremost before the people that are more vulnerable.
1: And I think we should take a step back and just differentiate between the two different kinds of testing. You know, the the testing that we're talking about in terms of people, in, which is being to an extent rationed in hotbeds is focused on people who may have the virus now, right? The testing that Miles and I are talking about with regards to antibodies is with regards to people who have been potentially exposed and either had clearly symptoms or never did and just, you know, is evidence of them having had exposure and or having had the disease. So they're two different things. Um, you know, and, and just like Dr. Spar said, it's it's important to look at people who have been potentially exposed, like healthcare workers, the folks who keep our energy on planes in the sky, etc., you know, to see if they've been exposed, because if they have throwing them back into the mix means that somebody with coronavirus who walks by them
0: tomorrow is not going to do a thing to them because they've already been exposed and bring this economy back to back to life. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that I'm hearing right now is, you know, as we all are uh, watching the news that, you know, we have, we obviously have leaders who want the economy to to survive, and this is something that no one has ever experienced before. But meantime, it feels like if, if everybody doesn't just shut in and quarantine or, or, or just allow this to stop, I just, in fact, today heard Bill Gates talking about, you know, that we're not even close to the peak because if you don't treat the entire country the same, these places where there might only be 100 or 200 reported cases – not, not to suggest that mm-hmm. they only have only 200 cases, but that, that they right. know that they're only 200, will ultimately become the next hotbeds because they won't be on the same time cycle as everybody else in the big states that have already made the tough decision to quarantine and to shut down. So this is um, – is there a chance of reinfection? I mean I guess that's the thought process here, right? You get, you get one area of the country tamped down, and then that spreads, and then can it come back? I mean that's – I guess that's this whole question of immunity. So well, if you think- look
1: at the – If you look at the charts for, you know, if if, if you look at the models for this thing, essentially what they show is that, you know, depending on what we do now with regards to isolation, quarantine, etc., we're going to have some sort of peak now. But then when those restrictions are loosened, there's going to be another upswing in infections because not everybody across the globe is going to be infected now. Um, you know, and, and there are a few different ways of looking at this. Like one is the, you know, do we just get through it now and, and deal with things later? Or do we slow things down now so that we can spread out the resources available to treat infected people? That's, that's kind of a bastardized way of saying it, but, um, you know, but those are some of the options.
2: Well, it's also, I think it's looking pretty much like there is going to be another peak in the fall. Um, So whenever you're listening to this, uh, you know, I'd like to jump to what you can do to really stay healthy and to either prevent getting sick and keep your immune system healthy, because this is not going to just be a springtime 2020 issue. It's going to be around for at least a year and a half or two years, and it's going to definitely be back in the fall. On some level, we have to see what happens this summer in the Southern hemisphere to kind of have some sense of how bad it might be here in the fall.
0: But, but don't you think but, there's a vaccine that will come at some point here, and then we'll all be able to become fall. immune from? Not and maybe possible.
2: not by next. May you know the most optimistic would be next spring, but probably next fall because you know these things. It'll take a few months to even get past a phase one, phase two trial, just checking for safety and minimal efficacy, and then to get phase three trial, really testing these drugs, these vaccines in real populations, checking to make sure they're safe and effective, and getting them produced on the scale that needs to happen that's you know you know 12 18 months at the best
0: so so what happens so you let's let's play this out so you know the average person I'm me for that matter I'm I'm sitting here thinking okay so I get infected um, or I believe I have it. Um, I do or don't get a test. I'm not sure if I even want to go out to try to find the test. Although I've seen that there are some drive-through testing uh, zones, uh, not not far from from where I am now. But um, I, but in the meantime, what can I take? What 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 medicines would you take? I've, you know, I've heard some stuff about about you know malaria drugs. I've heard some stuff about just taking cold and flu stuff. What do you do if you have to mitigate? The symptoms that you get? I, or do you just go from, you know, really bad to even worse if you don't do anything? Uh, what, you know, can you stop the really worst from doing something that's therapeutic? What, what are my choices? Right now, we don't know.
1: But to speak to what you've been hearing, there have been a few small clinical trials that have been done very quickly on a couple of drugs. And there have been a couple of drugs that have shown some promise. The problem with saying some promise is that we can't say that they're effective. And, you know, those drugs include hydroxychloroquine, right, which is the malaria drug that you've been hearing about. There's a there's a derivative of that, the early version, called chloroquine as well. Um, and then there's an antiviral drug called, called I think, remdesivir. Um, which hasn't gotten approvals for broad use, but is being tested in clinical trials. Those have shown promise, but again, when we talk about clinical trials, we're talking about like 25, 30 people, right? So you can't, you can't um, generalize that across the population. But so right now the answer is right now the answer is there's, there's no treatment.
0: What would those drugs even do? What would a malaria drug have to do with this particular virus? Is there some connection between what malaria does to the human body and what coronavirus might do? I think it keeps the virus from getting into cells. It blocks it blocks
1: the virus's energy. Oh, okay. Injury. It's more of that. And then and some, same with some of the HIV
2: antivirals. They work that right. way. But then there are some natural things people can take as well. Um, there are things like some peptides that help help with the immune system. There's a peptide called thymusin alpha-1 that's used um, for different viruses around the world. And that can really help immunity, especially against viruses. There are other things you can take, like beta-glucan, comes from um, mushrooms, you can take that as a supplement. Taking vitamin C, something that we all hear about that actually does help, especially with the part of the immune system that fights viruses. Taking vitamin D is really important. White cells make something called Defensin that's promoted by vitamin D. And so if you are low, it's absolutely proven that getting your D level up helps your immunity against viruses specifically. so there are definitely some other you know, things you can do. And the biggest thing I would say, especially because a lot of us, at least right now, are in this self-isolation and are working from home and it gets very stressful and messes up your sleep, messes up your stress, is it's not unimportant to really look at your stress in your sleep. There are lots of studies looking at stress levels and resistance to upper respiratory tract infections specifically. There's some studies that looked at people who had more stress were more likely to get cold and flus in cold and flu season. There's a real link between managing your stress. So anybody who really wants to stay strong needs to do something every day to make the brain feel like it's not under threat, even though we all feel that way. You gotta fake it till you make it and pretend like you're not. And that absolutely helps your immune system. Just spending 10 minutes a day breathing or doing a meditation or journaling or turning off the friggin' news and the media and listening to something funny or socializing makes a big difference. Um, in, in protecting you. And again, if this is going to be coming back again in the fall, start getting some of those habits in place.
0: So I mean certainly listening to our podcast should be healthier, I, I think. <laughs> For sure. But the but but in terms of the things that you've just said, so it looks like, you know, this there, there are some things you can take. So you you build your immunity system. You build your immune system. You build back your immune system. You're trying to stress about whether or not you're ever going to get back to work. And many cases, I imagine, if you're even going to have a job. I mean, I think many of us are thinking, well, what 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 happens next? Is is my company going to be there? Is my place of work going to be there? Um, you know, we, I've been furloughed. I mean, I, I have a kid who's actually been furloughed from a pizza restaurant. He literally got a letter saying, you know, we don't need you right now. We're closed. And it's like I'm teaching my kid how to file huh. unemployment at 17 years old but this is this is a stressful thing so to think that yeah. i'm going to actually try to control my stress is really hard so but your point is you have to find some ways to take care of yourself because if you don't you're setting yourself up in this vicious cycle of getting sick so exactly. if we make that list again of building your vitamin d up building your vitamin c up there are some other things that you said, thymosin alpha-1. I'm not sure where you get that or how you get that. There's another list of things that you said. Say, that, say some of those things again. I really want to make sure that I get this right.
2: Sure. So thymosin alpha-1 is, needs to be a prescription, so you need to get that as a prescription. Um, and it's a peptide. It's very safe. It's used for immunity and cancer and all sorts of things. Um, and then there's something called glutathione, which is also used... To help boost, it's like the mother of all antioxidants. You know, oxidative damage is how infections cause damage, and those that damage in the lungs. We're talking about a lot of that is oxidative damage. If you can protect your cells from that oxidative damage, you're way ahead. Glutathione. So, how do you take glutathione? Is
0: that is that a pill? Is that people sell
2: it as a pill and it doesn't work? So, I wouldn't waste your money on that because it doesn't get absorbed well and get activated it gets destroyed by the gut so you really need to take it as an injection either intramuscular or subcutaneously so again it needs to be prescribed by
0: someone um who knows what is that you're the doing. same thing with thymosin alpha 1 yep. is that a pill or is that
2: that's a prescription that's injected subcutaneously with a tiny needle a tiny insulin needle under the skin All spirit. right
0: so so two of those things that you named are harder harder to get and they require needles and in taking injections but these are powerful yeah. these are powerful drugs that can help the- you to build your immune system Absolutely, one builds your immune system, one protects your cells from damage. Okay, and then the ones that I can get more readily, things that I can take more readily, vitamin C for sure. How much vitamin C should, should an average guy be taking?
2: I would take like 205 times a day. It's water-soluble. It washes out. So people who take like 1,000 or 2,000 at one time, you're peeing out most of it. So you really want to just, I know it's a pain in the butt to take things multiple times a day, but if there's any time to do that, it's now. So if you take like 200 milligrams five times a day, if you can, just you know, whip, every time you grab a snack, you're not going to overdose on vitamin no, C. No, I found
0: those gummies, those vitamin C gummies. They're really kind of delicious. They're like candy. I don't, I'll take well, them all day long. How many can <laughs> right? I take? I don't know how much sugar is in there. No, I like, I like counter, that. That's the reason yeah, I like no, it. Yeah, no, I want that. No, don't do
2: it. Although they have those cherry-flavored, you know. Yeah, no, I want those. That's they're like they're like what bad. I want. I want. Yeah. yeah, I want the I want <laughs> gummies. Okay, so
0: vitamin C. I'm going to take lots of vitamin <laughs> C candy. Zinc.
2: Yeah, there you go. Uh, but, zinc is good. Zinc is a really good one right now because— You could take like 20 milligrams of zinc every day and then if you start to get sick, you can bump it up to like 80 milligrams. You don't wanna do that for more than a week because you can actually overdose on zinc, but taking 20 every day is fine and then bumping it up when you start to get any kind of symptoms of a fever, that's not a bad idea. idea.
0: And how many of these things can you stack? So, you know, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, uh, glutathione, thymosin, alpha one, um, You know each of these things that you're talking about. What I mean, you know, uh, is more better. Do, do I use all of these things and try to really, you know, like build the fortress of immunity here? Is like no one will get near me because I'm gonna have a force field around me of immunity. <laughs> what, 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 what? Which things are in order of priority? What should I be thinking about? I, mean, I think it depends on you. If you're diabetic, yeah, do it all. You know,
2: if you have lung problems, if you're over 70, I would do it all. If you're not, then maybe you you do a few of these things. um, and then add if you start to have issues.
1: And then I think from the standpoint of safety, I mean, most of these are pretty darn safe, but you know, just like Dr. Spar said, some of them you can overdose on, you can overdose on zinc, you can overdose on selenium, the fat soluble vitamins like vitamin D, vitamin B, those are all things you can overdose on. So you you, you need to be careful with those, but there's no reason you really sh- can't quote
0: unquote, as you said, Jason, stack these suckers, you know, if you want to. All right, now if I do get some symptoms, and you know, not the kind of symptoms that are sending me to the hospital and putting me on a respirator, is 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 taking the over the counter cold and flu stuff, taking ibuprofen, taking uh, tylenol, whatever. Those things that we're all accustomed to going to the drugstore and getting are those th- Sudafed? Like, are those things um, helpful? Is that is that is that how you kind of manage through the symptoms of it? And how long should I expect the symptoms to last if I did if I if if I was infected?
1: All the, all the, all the questions that we want to know answers to, um, you know, I would say, and, and, and Dr. Spar, you know, certainly weigh in on this, I would say based on what we're hearing. There's, again, no real treatment. But like you said, Jason, if you want to treat the symptoms, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to treat the symptoms. So using ibuprofen, using acetaminophen to knock down a fever maybe make you feel a little bit better. Um, certainly acceptable. No evidence right now that Tamiflu, which is that flu medication, actually helps to lessen or or reduce the duration of these symptoms. Um, and in terms of expectations, you know, right now people are saying that if you have COVID-19, the syndrome of COVID-19, that you should expect to be sick for about one to two weeks. That's
0: what we know right now. Hence the reason why staying home, staying out of other people's way, even if you have it and are asymptomatic, making sure that you're not potentially carrying it to somebody else who could become very symptomatic is important. Well, and 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 that's one other point that I really wanted to make because like this kind of goes comes back
1: to people in public comparing this to the flu. If you look at the sort of infectivity or contagiousness of the flu, there's something called an R zero value that will tell you that tells you effectively, like if you walk by somebody and you have X disease, then you should expect to infect. X number of people. So the R0 value of the flu is 1.5, meaning you walk by somebody, you can expect to infect 1.5 people on average. For coronavirus, that number goes to 2.5. So the wow. infectiousness of this thing is is significantly higher than that of the flu and a lot of other diseases. So just something to keep in mind. And going in, what you were saying, you know, stay put, stay away from people. You know, make sure you're taking precautions to keep things clean, protect yourself, protect
0: other people, and kill the virus. I I I, I, I guess you know to summarize, we, we we and we'll be back. We'll you know we'll try to bring better and and more clean clear information as it becomes more available, as more is known. And I think it's our responsibility with with our listeners, especially as we have listeners around the world, many of whom are suffering in places that are even far, far worse than what we're seeing so far here in the U.S. But we um – we, we've we've basically covered what we know, and the most important thing is is to build your immunity and to stay away from people and to try your very best to try to live life uh, away from or quarantine from the rest of society for at least as, as long as, as our as our leadership tells us that we can do good by doing so. That trying to be out in public and trying to live life like it's normal because this is anything but normal is really putting not only yourself but many, many more people who may have what much worse uh, reactions to this at risk fair uh, yeah, at this point exactly. I mean, very well put. I, th- I think that's how we have to leave it so i mean you know while our caller and many others who have left us messages for you know what should they do about coronavirus at this point i guess that's what we'll leave it with and and stay tuned we'll we'll continue to share as as all the other authorities are and and we'll be back awesome thanks jason
1: yeah jason thanks guys Thanks for listening to another episode of Get It Up. We love to hear from you, our listeners. The best questions are the ones you've been thinking about but haven't asked. So call us, leave us a message. Maybe your question becomes the next episode. 917-267-7631. That's 917-267-7631. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not
2: constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services. No doctor-patient relationship is formed from listening to this podcast. The use of this information and the materials linked to in this podcast are at the user's own risk and are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.